Welcome to Solomon's Knot, finding truth and wisdom in an information age. Today's guest is Dr. Jolene Casilius Erlocker. Jolene is an accomplished professor, author, and speaker on issues surrounding Gen Z and the culture. In this episode, we'll be exploring issues affecting youth from her latest book, The Daniel Generation. Topics will include value and identity, finding companionship through isolation, including practical ways we can unplug from technology and reconnect with God and others in a postmodern, post-truth society. So, without further delay, let's get to our guest. Hey guys, we've got a great guest on today. This is a doctorate level professor. I bring the big guns on the show. You guys know how we roll, but um, I wanted to kind of change up some things. Uh, normally we'll kind of deep dive an issue or we'll bring on a guest to talk about specifics on whether it's theology or issues in the culture. But I was just captivated by this read. The book that we're going to be unpacking is called The Daniel Generation. Dr. Jolene, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Wonderful. Um, can you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Just give the uh, viewers a little sense of how you're approaching issues in the culture, especially with young people, the college area, and how maybe we can kind of just get a little bit more into your perspective on everything. Yeah. So I worked on a college campus as a full-time faculty for about eight years in Minneapolis. And now I teach online for several different universities, but it was really during that time on campus, interacting with students all the time that I began to realize things Things were changing in the culture and the world around us and that the students that I was mentoring and teaching really were confronting completely different challenges in many ways than my generation had faced at the same age. And so that's when I really felt like God began to birth this idea of a Daniel generation in my heart, just seeing the unique challenges and opportunities that young millennials and Gen Zers have today as they're seeking to live a life of purpose and faith. So um, that's kind of my background. About 10 years ago, I married a military man. Uh, and so I had to kind of make my career mobile. So that's what doors began to open for me to do training and consulting and writing. So my third book's coming out this summer. And I've just been immersed in this world of generational trends as well as cultural trends. And how do we equip the next generation to really thrive? Uh, that's my heart and passion. So that's what I do. Guys, don't let her fool you. She is a doctor level professor, a super mom. She is like married to the most elite special operations in the world. Like guys, we brought on the super Superwoman of this space. So if you want some more information, we'll make sure to plug her ministry and some resources, including yes, upcoming books and things. I did listen to a few episodes of your podcast. I think one of them was called Building Meaningful Relationships. There was some really neat stuff in there that we're going to be talking about now. So essentially, when we talk about unreached people groups, whether it's from a humanitarian context, missions context, we typically think of people in disconnected people groups in the bush, cultures that are developing and just starting to kind of get the gospel in, but rarely do we consider the university students or the young people in our culture who are kind of like really in this new age, this Babylonian style culture, pagan culture, where there's all these influences and things. And we historically have just had these traditions and foundations for the gospel or for Christian or godly elements in our society and culture that seem to be under attack or seem to be marginalized or separated from the greater aspects of culture. So we're going to kind of talk a little bit more about that, how worldview plays into it. Because we 
we can't talk about all the things in the book, I did kind of isolate a few topics that I think were pressing for this maybe particular conversation or the age that we're in. So uh, you did mention a little bit about whether it's uh, pornography or social media usage. So the addictions there, I think were really important. We did talk about that in previous episodes and also maybe just the loneliness, maybe the disconnects with religion or the culture. And then really ultimately what I love about your read is that you offer very practical suggestions in advice that are both biblical and just really practical. Like, Hey, I have a cell phone nowadays. What do I do with that? How do I make friends with people that are going to keep me grounded in my walk? All right. I'm going to close my lips now and we're just going to go and open it up to Dr. Jolene. What are your first thoughts, impressions, and what do you want to tell people? Well, yeah, let me just explain a little bit what I mean by Daniel generation, because especially if you don't have a, a background in Old Testament in the Bible, you might not understand that. Really where that comes from is this idea that for many, many generations, the country of Israel was a nation where godly values were understood. The law of God was sometimes obeyed, but it was known. So the culture around it could kind of support following the law of God. There was a temple where there were priests who were worshiping God. So in the Old Testament, we see See this nation of Israel that's kind of God's people right? They are God's people and they're faithfully serving God sometimes and sometimes unfaithfully serving God. So in the midst of that, we see Daniel as a young boy is living in Israel when Babylon attacks Israel. And God has prophesied through Jeremiah that Israel will fall to Babylon because the people in that season were unfaithful to God. And so Daniel is a part of this generation that is taken exile to Babylon. So Israel falls and Daniel and many of his friends are taken to captivity. So now they're living in Babylon where there's not one temple to the true God. There's 50 temples and there's lavish food that's actually against Jewish law for them to eat. There's many pressures to do things that go against the law that God had given them in Israel. And so Daniel and his friends have to try to navigate this very new context, knowing what the Bible, well, in that instance, the law of God said, and trying to figure out how to live faithfully for God in this context. So that's where I call them a Daniel generation. When we talk about Gen Z, we're really talking about those young people who are in their mid-20s and younger. Uh, young millennials are, you know, roughly 25 to early 30s. And this is the generation that really is growing up for the first time in America in a post-Christian context. Mm -hmm. So traditionally, America was more like the nation of Israel. Even if everyone in our country did not have a Christian faith or a biblical worldview, our moral foundations reflected biblical principles. Mm -hmm. And so, well, everyone did not follow God or obey God, similar to the nation of Israel the culture around them would support a Christian faith, similar to how Israel's culture would support following God. What we're finding now with young people is that they're literally living in a culture like you described, Jason, where the culture on campuses today does not support a biblical worldview or biblical principles. Much of our broader culture is actually anti-biblical truth and hostile towards Christianity. So young people today, similar to Daniel, if they want to pursue faith, are having to do so in an environment environment that's hostile to Christianity. So going back to your question about the nuns, you know, those who do not have any faith or religion, many young people are seeking meaning and purpose. They have a spiritual hunger in many cases for something greater, a deeper purpose or meaning, but they're navigating that search in a culture that does not affirm Christian or biblical values, which is creating a very different dynamic than we maybe would have seen 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I heard a lot about just the culture, the world 
worldview, the pressures that people, especially the young, are feeling in the culture. We're going to dive into that a little bit. But I wanted to just to kind of clarify too, or maybe just to dovetail on what you're saying, you're going to serve something. And so it's not that Christian people, and this is just my perspective, it's not that we're just trying to go out there and try to straighten people out, tell them that they're sinners and that they're going to hell. And I mean, look, I spent three episodes unpacking hell and unpacking judgment with students. What always seems to be consistent is that there's this judgment aspect. So we unpacked that, went to the fall. And, but here's the thing is examine the fruitfulness of what is being viewed in the culture on the campus. There are things that are very pagan in nature. And by pagan, what I mean is they're very self-focused, pleasure-focused. There's elements of the culture that even borrow from Christianity, whether it's the morals, whether it's the virtues, the principles, whether it's just categories of truth, you know, epistemology in various ways that we approach logic and knowledge. And so when you try to dismantle God or biblical foundations from the culture at which it was supported, like, so it's one thing to say, well, you know, if America came from mostly a pagan culture, that kind of worldview, we wouldn't be having this conversation. If anything, it'd be a fresh teaching. But here's something to think about. We almost sometimes hear these stories as if, well, that's how the ancients were. That doesn't apply. They didn't have cell phones back then. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have the discoveries and science and breakthroughs and physics and everything else. Well, when the Babylonians basically conquer a people group, what they did was a little unique relative to other nations that were more focused on conquest. They would take the cream of the crop of the youth from that city and transport them back to their kingdom. And this is key. They would rename them. They would give them a new name. So I'm actually doing a comparative right here to give you guys an understanding how it ties in the conversation. So Daniel's name in Hebrew is God is my judge. And then he had his three friends, which we're going to talk about with godly companions. So Hananiah, the Lord is gracious, Mishael, who like God, and Azariah, the Lord helps. So Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means the treasure bell, which is one of their gods. We're not going to unpack bell or ball worship in this episode, but essentially it was their deity who was completely diametrically opposed to the one true God, the God of the Jewish people. Shadrach with his friend Hananiah means commander of Aku, which is a moon god. Same thing. We see this consistently. Essentially their identity is being completely flipped upside down. If we don't have problems with identity in this culture, if we don't think this is a part of the conversation, we just did an unpacking about this in a previous episode. I just dropped. You guys have a chance. Please check that out. So the first thing that the Babylonians did is they transport them away from what was familiar to them. Parents, when you're sending your kids off to college, they're going to now be reindoctrinated into a different worldview, even if it's right up the road. And not every one of those professors and administrators, even the denominational groups on the campus may have differing views when it comes to same-sex gender issues, when it comes to political and social issues. So these are questions you want to think about, especially if you're invested in it with your money. Um, but yeah, just to, let me get back on track. Here. There's, yes, there's so many things to say. You can go off on so many rabbit trails. <laughs> As young people are entering into the college environment or maybe even to the workforce in different degrees, they're going to be confronted, especially if you're coming from a background where you're a church or maybe it's a fresh perspective. Like I have friends that are embracing certain religions or spirituality. I want to know where I'm grounded on the basic core questions of life. What my purpose is, what am I doing here on earth and how am I actually supposed to vote or conduct my life while I'm here? So I want to do this. I want to open up with something from her book. This is actually in your introduction. It's on page three. You say, how do we disciple today's Daniels to lead in a context we may never fully understand ourselves? We must learn to embrace new models of mentoring, training, and leadership development. So this is almost like your prophetic warning to the people in our culture, whether your parents or leaders, these are going to be challenges now that you're going to face. And I uh, kind of really wanted to hit on this. I've heard some talks recently about how lonely people are. And I think this kind of contributes to 
of the suicide rates increasing and just the isolation coming out of COVID, or maybe just how important is it to have like-minded people as a student or just kind of navigating life, uh, particularly in a faith context? Yeah. So the number one predictive factor, Drew Dyke, who does a lot of research on generational trends as to whether or not a young person can will retain their faith as they navigate through the college years and into young adulthood, the workplace, is if they have strong relationships with older believers. Mm -hmm. It's not the music that your church plays. It's not the fancy social media account that you have. It's none of those things. It is the relationships. And what we find is that the young people who thrive, not just in faith, but in life, are the ones who are able to develop strong, healthy relationships with older adults, Mm -hmm. as well as like-minded peers, peers who have similar values and beliefs. Mm -hmm. So we see this in Daniel's life in a couple of ways. One is he has his group of three friends that you mentioned who, when he's in crisis, when they're showing up at his door saying, we're going to kill you because the king has issued this edict, he immediately turns to those like-minded friends and says, pray with me. Mm -hmm. So he has this group of people. They're not there all the time. Later, those three are sent off to be rulers of other provinces. They're not all together all the time, but just having that group that you know, they're a text message away, a phone call away, maybe a camel ride away at Daniel's time, you know, allows you to have the strength, right? I'm not alone in this. There are other people who think like me because often in our culture today, young people feel very much alone. Like they're the only one who has a specific worldview or faith. Right. So that's one thing. The other thing is just seeking out those older adults. So if you are a young person, I would recommend to you, look at the adults in your life. Who's someone who models something that you want? They have joy and peace when others do not. They have wisdom when others do not, or they have a healthy marriage, or they have healthy relationships with their kids, or Mm -hmm. they're thriving in their work. Look at the people around you and say, who do you want to learn from? And go to that person, even say, can I just learn from you? Would you meet with me for coffee once a month? Or could I come have dinner at your house? Like invite yourself over, find a way to cultivate that relationship relationship, send them a text message and just say, would you pray for me? If you know that they're a believer, pursue those relationships. If you're an older adult, a parent, a teacher, a neighbor, a pastor, Mm -hmm. I would say actively seek to cultivate relationships. So in the past, what we've done is we've focused on programs to help educate and disciple the next generation. Programs are still valuable, but they are not the key. The key is relationships where we are listening. We're asking questions. We're probing for deeper understanding and really encouraging and speaking belief over each other. Young people today are very isolated. Technology has allowed us to have superficial relationships where we're not emotionally connecting with other people. We're just connecting via our devices, which does not allow for emotional connection that we have when we're face-to-face. And so that loneliness is combated by being in relationship with people in meaningful relationship, but that requires work and risks, right? So we have to be willing to take that risk and engage with people knowing that it's not always going to turn out the way we want it to, but that we know it's worth it to pursue relationships in order to find the right ones. Yeah, I definitely, um, I hear some themes of developing intentional relationships, not only across, but up as well as down. So, you know, if you're a student and this is, I, I hear this all the time on the campus is I want to learn more about faith or I want to go to church, but I'm struggling to find people like like-minded people. The thing that you did talk a little bit about social media usage and how that's kind of factoring into loneliness and, and just 
some of the depression and other things. That's in um, the Life in Babylon, chapter five. In terms of the relational piece, uh, this is really big. You said this in chapter on Daniel's companions, page 110. I love this. He was not totally alone. A few faithful friends stood with Daniel through difficult times. These godly companions provided the support needed to navigate troubling circumstances in ungodly Babylon. Going ahead a little bit more, you said Daniel's companions didn't just support him through tough times. This is key. They shared his values and were faithful to pray with him for God's help and guidance in all their circumstances. Always cultivate the mindset of developing relationships and not devaluing the ones that you may have had in past seasons, even if you've been hurt. Um, part of the Christian witness is loving people that may be at odds with you, even past friends. And let's be honest, some of the most difficult relationships we had have probably been within the context of our faith when things don't go right. Here's where I want to get at is the most important relationship you're going to develop is between you and God. So firm up that relationship. And um, we'll talk a little bit about that in the application part. I know you have tons of practical things to recommend for disconnecting, going on phone fast. I definitely want to unpack this a little bit more in the practicals because we all need to do it. I need to do it. <laughs> but yeah, I really like that piece. Um, so maybe just going a little bit ahead, what encouragement would you have maybe even to the students that approached you when you're a professor? Because I think that some of these students kind of look up to the professors in almost like a, a deified sense, like, oh, well, they have all this knowledge and wisdom. How would you encourage students in this space, whether they're seeking that deeper relationship with God or even just kind of struggling and they just need a way out? What do you want to say? Yeah. So one of the things that we're seeing today that I've heard from students repeatedly is just sometimes we don't even know why we believe what we believe. And part of that is because we are so inundated with information. We have never had access to information like we have yeah. today. And so the moment that we have a spare minute, right, we're sitting in our dorm room or we're sitting in our apartment or we're waiting in line or we're even at a red light, we mm -hmm. instantly go to our device because it's right there all the time. So we might be listening to a podcast, yeah. checking a text message, scrolling social media, looking at our newsfeed. So we always have these distractions that are so readily available that very seldom do we actually just have silence. And so going back to your question, how do we cultivate that deeper relationship with God and with yeah. others? What we find is it's impossible to do. Research tells us you have to have silence in order to be a healthy human being. Why? Because silence allows your brain to rest. It allows your brain to process things, to think about why do I feel the way that I do? Why did I respond to that person the way I responded? Why am I feeling so upset by that post that I saw or that message that I heard or whatever? And actually reflecting on that. And the thing is, is in those moments of silence and reflection are where God's spirit can speak to us Good. because we're actually listening. One of the challenges today is so often we're so distracted by the noise in our lives, other people's opinions and thoughts and posts that we're not actually thinking about our own feelings on the matter and asking God to give us insight. The other thing is that when we're in that place where we're taking the time to personally reflect and seek God in quiet moments, that we actually become a better person as a friend as well. We're able then to have some space in our hearts and minds to engage other people in a meaningful manner. So my first recommendation for people is to actually just start practicing some moments of silence. And research will tell us that this is actually more painful for people today than a lot of things. They will choose pain over silence in many oh, instances yeah. because we're so accustomed to noise. So maybe even just taking the practice of like five minutes in the morning when you wake up, take five minutes before you pick up your phone and just say, God, please be with me today. Please speak to me today. I'm listening to you. And even just take two or three minutes to just pause and just think, does God give you a thought or an idea or does someone's image come to your mind that maybe you need to talk to. So just starting to build those practices back into our life. And we see this in Daniel's life. Even when he was second in command over the most powerful empire,
empire in the world, he would pause three times a day to pray. And so we see Daniel building these rhythms of pausing and reflection into his life. And those equipped him to then have healthy relationship with others as well. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned securely in Daniel's life. So the conversations we're having, the way that you approach these various issues that we have, we are also the Daniel generation. If you think about it, it's not just the young people in Babylon, yes, true. we as believers, but also people that are seeking are running in these same struggles of, I really want to actually have a relationship with God. I'm so busy. I don't have time to, to go to church or to read. I'm a full-time student. I'm already under so much pressure. And that's the point of why we want to encourage you to have a relationship with God, because part of God's revelation to us is rest. He didn't want us to be this busy all the time and to lose our minds. Uh, and here's something else that really stuck out about Daniel is that when he actually took that time to pray, and this was something that his enemies tried to use against him. By the way, guys, by taking time to step away from your online presence, even not responding to every text or call or message that your friends send might make you unpopular. It might actually bring division by you separating yourself to have a personal relationship with God and to be part of the community of believers, whether they're fellow students, influences in your life that are going to be healthy and leading you to this, even just listening to this content. But here's the thing is, if they're truly your friends, they're not going to judge you. By separating yourself for God, you may actually demonstrate to your friends what it truly means to live in love. Give yourself to God and see what he can do and how he can move you. Now, I met a student not that long ago, and he said he was a self-admitted Christian. His father was really active in ministry, but he didn't really want to pursue that because he felt like that was going to take him away from his dream. He wanted to work on space shuttles and some of the physics behind there to basically go to Mars. Like that was his dream. He wanted to be a part of that next wave of astronauts and scientists. And I said, Jesus wants to partner with you in that. Give that to God. If you have those desires, like go to God with those desires and see the kinds of doors that will open up or shut in that process. I think so often we just think that, well, if I go on for Jesus, then I have to go and minister the gospel to people in third world countries. Like, no, you have to be called to that. You need to have the grace for that. But where God needs us also, it's not just in the marketplaces, it's in our homes, it's among our friends, how we vote, it's what we do with the money that we have, the gifts that we have, the talents that we have, if playing music or you have a gift for encouragement or serving, then use those for helping of others and use those for glorifying God. Can I just add one thing Go to ahead, that? Go ahead, please. Yeah, I, think yeah, I have dovetail. I think it's that's such an important point is sometimes we compartmentalize our lives, which is ironic because today we're integrating our lives more than ever, right? Mm -hmm. With technology. But we need to look at Daniel's life as an example. When Daniel and his friends were obedient and faithful to God, they continue to follow God. Even under pressure, we find in Daniel that God gave them favor and that the king found them more knowledgeable than anyone else in the land. So to your yeah. point, when we start to say, God, I invite you into my life, into my work, into my relationships, I want to honor you in all of these things. We start to walk in a place of blessing and favor. Not that it's going to be perfect. People were trying to kill Daniel, yeah. but God was with him and gave him strength and gave him courage. And so sometimes we forget that we actually need God in all of those spaces, mm -hmm. even in our dreams and in our academic pursuits and in our career pursuits. Yeah. That's where we see Daniel as he was learning. And then as he was working, he continued to honor God and God honored mm -hmm. him. And so we do need to bring
bring those things into our relationship with God and God into those things. I wanted to share with you some quick updates from fourcampus.org, including upcoming events in the near future. Sometime in mid-August, we'll be doing another outreach day on NC State. The last event witnessed some incredible life-changing moments from the students. Also, I recently began a partnership with Noble Larocco Mossi and his Lighthouse Network. Noble and his crew linked up with Four Campus at our last outreach day, which we discussed in a previous SK episode. Please look out for news and more information about this emerging partnership. Now, let's get back to our guests. Maybe go back and talk just about two things. You've already kind of referenced, Jason, but I just want to mention a a few additional points. One is just identity, Mm -hmm. right? So identity today is very much in flux. It's very fluid. And part of that is because of these changing worldviews where young people today are being told you get to choose who you are. So in the past, we kind of inherited our identities. We were born into them. Not that we couldn't change aspects of them as we grew up, you know, but today young people are really being told you get to choose Mm -hmm. what's right for you. You get to choose what feels right to you, what is true to you. So we put a lot of that pressure on that individual to determine what is true and what is right for them. So really, we're just seeing a complete shift in how we view truth and how we view identity, uh, which are tied together, right? And so one of the things in this soul searching that we're talking about is understanding who does God say you are? Not just who do I think I am, but who does God say that I am? And that's really what sets Daniel apart from others, right? Because Daniel continued to be faithful to who he was, who God said he was, not the name that the culture had given him. While he was still faithful to serve the king, he did not succumb to that identity. Mm -hmm. He was willing to surrender all of that to remain true to his identity in Christ and God, right? And so that's what he was willing to die for, was that relationship with God. And I think that's where that soul searching, we have to be able to move away from who the culture says we are, what the Mm -hmm. culture tells us is truth, and really seek what does God say is true, and what does God say that I am? Who am I? So that's a piece of it. And tied into that is the fact that today we're often told to make decisions based on how we feel. So in the past, we would have made more decisions based on facts, logic, and reason, seeking out what was true Mm -hmm. because we believed in absolute truths. Today, if each individual gets to determine their own truth and their own identity, that means that often we're making those decisions based on our emotions. Mm -hmm. So we've been taught in our culture today to elevate our emotions and to let our emotions guide us. But emotions, well, they're very important, can be very unreliable. Mm -hmm. One of the things is really getting to understand ourselves. What are our weaknesses and our strengths? So this is where when I'm working with young people, I do a lot of coaching around things like personality, strengths, your spiritual gifts, your values, because that process can help us understand, okay, my weaknesses are to respond emotionally in these situations Mm -hmm. versus responding out of the truth of what God says and who God says I am. And so as we're working with young people, or as you are a young person, just really learning about yourself Mm -hmm. and then seeking that deeper truth of who God says you are, are really two important Mm -hmm. steps, you know, so that you can manage yourself and manage your emotions and not be dictated to by your Mm -hmm. emotions, right? And so you have to be able to manage your emotions because as you're soul searching, you start to feel uncomfortable or you start to feel doubt. Our, Our tendency is to pull away from that process because 
it's a negative emotion. Yeah. So we have to be able to manage those emotions and say, no, this is worth it. Getting help, asking a mentor or a friend or a pastor to help me yes. process these questions and doubts that I'm feeling can help you then discover the true identity that God has yeah. for you. And that's where we find freedom and joy and purpose, unlike anything else. But most people are not willing to go through that process because it does require perseverance and some pain and some discomfort at times um, because we're not perfect and we're going to have to face some of our own failures and faults. That is the only path though to peace and joy and true purpose. So it's worth pursuing, but it's not an easy process. So good. What I hear is emphasis on value. If you don't know your value, your intrinsic value, then the world's going to determine that for you. Just look at the past century and we'll see what happens when human governments or kings or rulers, parties, political parties, you can look at countries today, China, Middle East, different parts of the world who place separate value systems of life and dignity on human beings. And by the way, even in our own country, we make this mistake too. The key is is that we need a standard, an objective standard, which we can point to that can not only tell us our value and identity, but what we're supposed to be doing while here on earth. And as a reference from a Christian worldview in the scriptures, Jesus was asked this question. What are the greatest commandments? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can go back even Old Testament, Micah 6, 8. What is it good for a man to seek justice, to love mercy? and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. And even in the New Testament, we see plenty of references, whether it's Paul's teachings and the epistles, how to conduct our lives with honor and integrity, lean sexual immorality, pursuing righteousness, peace, and love, along with those that call on Jesus with a good heart or a good mind. And so here's the key, the emphasis on relationships and particularly the emotions behind that. By the way, I'm going to tease out a little bit of Dr. Jolene's ministry, uh, your site. This is leadingtomorrow.org. And I don't want Dr. Jolene to get her had too big here, but I'm going to talk her up a little bit. So go ahead and cover your ears. It says right here on your website, Dr. Jolene Erlocker founded Leading Tomorrow in 2014 with the aim of equipping businesses, schools, nonprofits, and other organizations for effective intergenerational leadership in an evolving culture. Her passion, which clearly has been noticed here, for equipping a new generation of leaders emerged from various leadership experiences in education and ministry. Guys, she has done it. She has traveled throughout the world. She has talked. She's gotten the degrees and the background. You've done talks for military, for businesses. These are not just your average businesses. These are some of the most elite organizations in the world. So if you guys want, check her out, get her to talk about these things. I believe you have speaking engagements throughout the year. Um, But I also want to talk a little bit about this too. Maybe you can, um, as a practical tool, you also are a certified IPSAT coach. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe how the emotional intelligence factors into there? Because I think a lot of the students are exposed to like Myers-Briggs, various, there's so many personality tests. I think I've done every spiritual gifting and personality test. Can you help us maybe demystify this whole space and what are some practical tools we can gain that will help encourage us in our walk with God or in a pursuit of truth in kind of this postmodern maze in which we're finding ourselves in the Babylon culture that we are immersed in as Daniels. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, identity profile self-awareness tool is the IPSAT. What we do in that process is we use Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finder, Spiritual Gifts, a Values Inventory, a Passions Profile. So you go through this assessment battery, but then really the key to it is unpacking what does this mean for me? What are the things that are going to derail me in my life? What are my weaknesses? What's my plan for overcoming them? Where are the places I make my best contribution yes. to teams, to other people, so that I can continue to cultivate those things 
So it really comes up with a self-leadership action plan is what we call it, where you can identify all these things about yourself, but you don't just set it on a shelf. You take it and you put it into action and you have a coach who's working with you to do that. And that's the key that I would really encourage people. You know, I know a lot of students enjoy the Enneagram right now is very popular, but there's a lot of different profiles out there. Um, Find some of these resources, do them, but then do them in relationship with other people. Talk about them with your roommate, you know, or your best friend or your parents, a mentor or a leader, and just say, do you see these things in my life? How can I change? How can I grow? So we talked about loneliness earlier. And one of the factors that's tying into loneliness is the fact that we are engaging via screen so much, we've lost emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence has dropped by 30 to 40% among college students in the last couple of decades. So as a result of that, many of us today struggle to even go up to a stranger and talk to them or go into a store and get a job Mm -hmm. application. We'd rather just go online and fill it out, right? We're finding even at career fairs, college students are walking past tables and texting the number that's on the banner instead of going up to the table. Why? Because it takes emotional intelligence to go up to a table. So emotional intelligence is really just understanding and managing your own emotions and understanding other people's emotions and relating to them with empathy. So what are the situations where I'm going to feel anxiety about talking to people or engaging with others and then developing strategies to help me do that? I'll just throw out one of my favorite little tools. So if this is something that resonates with you, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, it's a little book. It comes with a little online assessment, but it's also just jam-packed full of practical strategies. So an example of one, I think they have like 30 different strategies to just adopt depending on what you struggle with. My favorite is a back pocket question. Mm -hmm. So like Jason said, I travel all over the country and the world speaking. So I often get off of an airplane and met by a complete stranger, go to a place that's full of complete strangers, present to them. And so I'm interacting for days sometimes with strangers. So back pocket questions are just questions that I have that I can use with anyone to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just having some tools like that can be really, really helpful. Be intentional and courageous to grow in those places to manage your emotions and to grow in the areas that are uncomfortable to you. You know, if you don't like going up and talking to a stranger, maybe force yourself to do it once a day or once a week. And that will help mitigate the loneliness that we're feeling. Wonderful. Yeah. And it sounds like the whole introverted, extroverted personality types and all that. For those out there saying, no, I'm not really like outgoing or maybe I have all these friends, but how many of those friends are really like close? You know, if you're not comfortable opening up, like maybe there's students out there, people are like, well, the last time I opened up to someone about my faith or I was vulnerable and I got judged and that's why I don't want to go to church or even the people are Christians and they're always so harsh all the time. They're always telling me what I'm doing wrong. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Find people that are genuinely living it out. And the way that we do that is we have to be vulnerable and get in the relationship with people. Here's the thing is if there's fruit there, when we say fruit, if there's a positive outcome to people's life that is not just measured in how they are perceived, are they intentional? Are they actually following up with you? Or are they just your friend because of what you can do, helping them with their schoolwork, or maybe because you're popular and you have other friends that they want to get to know, whatever the case is, there's a point at which I think understanding ourselves, understanding maybe some of our strengths and weaknesses or some of our gifts, our personality types, things like that, things that we can have more self-awareness and more godly awareness, what our value is. And this is so countercultural. If you actually have a healthy self-awareness and a value that transcends what human beings or systems 
of the world can place on you. By virtue, you will actually set yourself apart from the rest of the world that places subjectivity on just about everything. If you're willing to take a hard stand on what you believe, you may have people that don't want to talk to you, but you may have a lot of people that are encouraged just to genuinely get to know you. If you're having struggles finding people, go find them. Don't wait for people to come into your life. Go pursue the people that you want to actually model in their life. Take a step of faith in an area that you don't have a lot of insight in. Go find the people that are doing what you want to do and ask them how they do it. Even more so when they're aligned with your faith and values. Look at the fruitfulness of your life. Just because they're successful or just because they have wealth or they have access or popularity doesn't mean they're the best people to be around. You have to examine the fruit and how they're living their life. All right. I want to just echo please, that. Please, um, you know, often we're like, I'm lonely. I don't have anybody, you know, I don't have anyone to connect with. I don't even know who I would reach out to. We have to get out of our apartments, out of our dorm rooms. We have to put down the video game, put down the social media feed, and we have to actually go put ourselves in situations where we can get exposed to those people. And it might take time. It's going to be overwhelming at first mm-hmm. in some cases, and it's not going to just happen immediately. You can't give up if you go to one Bible study or one sporting event yeah. or whatever, and then no one talks to you. You have to be persistent. Anything worth having is worth working for. And that is true with relationships. If you cultivate your emotional intelligence, the research shows that people with higher EQs make more money too. It's not just that you're happier and that you're more fulfilled Mm -hmm. because you're connecting with people, but you also literally, it tells us you make more money. There are many, many reasons to force yourself to step out of your comfort zone and go pursue these relationships and find people. Mm -hmm. And you also have to recognize they're not always going to be perfect. That's often why we avoid relationships because relationships can hurt us, but it's us managing those emotions and saying, you know what, even when I sometimes get hurt, I'm going to continue to pursue meaningful relationships Mm -hmm. because it matters enough to me. It's good. The concept of valuing relationships over results or over whatever tangible things we can do is biblical in nature. When we actually value other people more than ourselves and look, emotional intelligence essentially is just valuing the people you work with over what they can produce for you. Because if you value the person, they're going to want to perform at a level that's going to be honoring. And you're talking about integrity. Companies invest billions of dollars into figuring out how to get people to do that through inorganic systems. We can't always standardize these in our workplaces, in our communities, even in our church communities. We have to be able to focus on those individuals. If you want to impact the world, it starts with one person at a time. It starts in those closer relationships. Um, And I think that's important. A great definition of humility I can't remember exactly who it was that says that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. And our culture today encourages narcissism. Mm. Why? Because it's my social media profile. How many likes am I getting? How many points am I getting on my video game? Mm. Right. What's my grade or my GPA? It's all these things can be very self-focused. One of the keys to emotional intelligence is thinking about others more. When we can do Mm. that, that starts to cultivate a richness. If you do that for the people that you're working with, for your roommates, for your teammates, all of a sudden you start to succeed because they feel supported by you. And that's where deep, meaningful relationships really come from. Even with older people, as you're pursuing them, I mean, those of us who are older need to do a better job of this with those who are younger. We need to give you the credit of the, you know, the benefit of the doubt. We need to recognize you're experiencing pressures. Um, So I speak to the parents, the teachers, the leaders out there, young people today are facing pressures. We can't even understand 
So we need to extend grace and we need to seek to understand the same thing with younger people, you know, sit down with your grandparents and ask them questions about growing up. So we need to extend that understanding to each other, think about others more. And that is one of the keys to that emotional intelligence. Yeah, very key. Um, You know, something I've heard this and I'll maybe approach this from a couple of different perspectives. Younger people are meeting people online, friends. It's not actually uncommon for young people to develop friendships online. And maybe later on down the road, they may actually meet them in person. I was on a plane trip one time and I had met a parent, one of their sons had their friends with them and they had met online playing a video game in their graduation give. They actually met in real life. And I thought that it was really neat, something that was encouraging. And we're not saying that your friends that you're playing with online, or maybe people that you're meeting in social circles virtually. I mean, Dr. Jolene, we have never met in person. I met through reading your book. And then from that, I reached out to you and then we'll meet online. However, the most closest intimate relationships in your life should not be through an online medium. You should want to cultivate an in-person relationship because then there's different dynamics at play. They can physically be there with you. They can walk with you in that season. Human to human contact is so key. Um, I don't know what the stats are, but it's like every human being needs five physical touches a day just so that we know we're alive and that we could show empathy with each other. That's the way our physiological, biological nature is made. We might need to deep dive that in another talk. Uh, so as we're kind of wrapping up the show here, any advice or wisdom, scripture, anything that comes to your mind that you want to encourage both the students as well as some of the people listening, uh, what do you want to say? I mean, I think I would go back to what I said earlier about finding space for silence and reflection, Mm. learning to manage your technology. It becomes key to so many other things in our lives today. Mm. Um, The research shows us that once you hit two to three hours of use of technology a day, screen time, whether it's social media, video games, news feeds, text messaging, the use becomes a negative in your life. Your rates for depression, anxiety, loneliness, all of those things increase after two to three hours of device use a day. So knowing that, just find ways to really manage how you're engaging via devices. Again, devices are amazing tools that allow us to connect with people all over the world, find information, but we want to make sure that we are controlling our devices and our devices are not controlling us. At our house, we have a rule, no devices in bedrooms. Because we've just found that we sleep better, we read more, we talk to each other as a family more when we don't have devices in certain spaces in our home. Now, if you're living in a dorm room, that might be hard, right? But maybe you're just like nine o'clock at night, I'm actually going to put my device on silent and only allow, you know, exceptions from mom and dad or maybe my friend or somebody. So there's so many ways now that we can manage our devices, apps that will track how much time we're on TikTok or Instagram, really thinking, what are my strengths with managing my devices? What are my weaknesses? And then finding some time to just be silent, to be still, to reflect, Mm. Um, because that again is so key to our emotional health and well-being, And it will equip us then to engage better in these relationships in person. I just want to echo what Jason said. Online relationships can be really valuable, but they cannot be all of your relationships. You have have to be cultivating those in-person close relationships with mm-hmm. people around you so that when you're in trouble, when you need something, there's someone who can physically respond. There's someone who can be there with you. So making sure that you're managing that technology, you're guarding some space for silence and reflection, and then you're really cultivating those relationships first and foremost with God, and then with other people who have shared values with you or things that you want to learn from them. So those would be my final thoughts. Very good. The book is called The Daniel Generation. 
by Dr. Jolene Casilius Erlocker. Can you just tell us a little bit about how people can get a hold of you, the book, you know, how do people get these resources? So along those lines, the Leading Tomorrow mm-hmm. podcast is my podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this most recent episode that just dropped last week was Tech Smart Tips for Summer. So that might be a good place to just get some ideas and some additional mm-hmm. strategies. Check out my website. I have a blog as well, leadingtomorrow.org. Like I said, the podcast, I do lots of training and consulting. If you are a pastor or a leader, I would be happy to chat with you and talk about how we could get some of this information into your context. I also do, like I said, leadership coaching. All that information is on my website, leadingtomorrow.org. would love to connect with any of you out there and answer any questions that you yes. have. It took me about two months just to get a hold of her. So make sure to reach out if you're trying to book up speakers for the end of this year or next year. Dr. Jolene, thank you for your time. I would really appreciate it. We'll put some links and information in the show notes. Feel free to reach out. If you want to get a hold of Dr. Jolene, you can go to her website at leadingtomorrow.org or just reach out to the website and we'll get you connected. We want to say thank you for not only just your service to the next generation, but also as a family, just your service to our country and all the wonderful freedoms and blessings we have because of our faith and our values. We appreciate you and we hope to have you again here on the show in the near future. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be here. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Solomon's Knot, a production of fourcampus.org and its associated partners. To say thank you to our contributors, we are giving away a pair of tickets to the upcoming live production of C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, hosted at Duke Energy Center in Raleigh, North Carolina on Saturday, July 9th. If you're interested in acquiring these tickets, please purchase a copy of Dr. Jolene's book, The Daniel Generation, through her website, leadingtomorrow.org, and email us the receipt at fourcampusorg at gmail.com. Make sure to check out her resources and professional services addressed early on the show. The winner will be notified along with further details on acquiring the tickets. Thank you for your faithful viewership, and we look forward to seeing you on a future outreach day in the coming fall. Until next time, this is your host, Jason, signing off. Peace.